and welcome to the Kids Planet Podcast. An opportunity to explore the highs and lows of raising under fives. Here's your host from the Kids Planet marketing team, Emma Palowski. Hello and welcome to this month's podcast. Today we're joined by award-winning early childhood consultant Sue Asquith and our very own internal Kids Planet Special Educational Needs and Disability, often referred to as SEND, team. That's Becky Eckersley, Rachel Brady and Lauren Wilson to discuss SEND in the early years. Hi everyone and welcome. Um, If we could just start by giving our listeners a little bit of background on yourselves and how you've got into this line of work, that would be fab. Um, Should we start with you, Sue, and then we'll go through our KP team afterwards? Brilliant. Yes, of course. That's fine. Thank you for inviting me on this podcast. So I'm Sue Asquith, as you said, I'm an early years childhood consultant. I work within the UK and internationally to support the early years um, globally. Obviously, most of my work just now is in the UK for obvious reasons. Um, But just thinking about how I I came into the sector. So in 1998, I registered as a childminder with my local authority. And then obviously in terms of Ofsted taking over registration and inspection and became an Ofsted registered childminder. I started doing loads more training and looking into my own professional development more and more. And then I started doing lots of training for childminders and the earlier sector. First of all, they were locally to me, but then obviously this grew and grew. I've worked on several DFE-funded projects with charities such as NDNA, PACE, um, Communications Trust, and I just can't learn enough about early years to kind of start to understand child development even more and deep dive into some areas to help others um, to support their families and, and children as well. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment, doing lots of online things and obviously face-to-face um, training where it's possible and support for settings as well. Oh, brilliant. Thanks so much. Um, And Becky, um, can you tell us more about your background too, um, but also how our SEND team operates at Kids Planet and how we're different to other nurseries? Yeah, so I've been in early years for about the last 12 years. Um, I started by qualifying as an early years teacher um, and worked um, in that role and um, managing a large preschool. Um, I've then moved on to working at an academy, teaching um, level two, three and four. Um, And following that, then I joined um, what was the Kids Allowed SEND team. um, And now um, we're working with Kids Kids Planet um, as the internal SEND team. Um, And if that isn't busy enough, I'm um, in the third year of doing my master's qualification um, in early childhood studies and looking at... um, speech and language development um, because I feel like that's the the crux really for good um, overall holistic development. Um, So that's me in a nutshell. We're very, as our team, we're very um, passionate about SEND um, and my partner's even coined a phrase for me um, that's early years intense um, because I think like he said, you know, um, we're very passionate about it um, and talk about it all the, the time. Um, and making sure that every child has the the good start, the best start they can in life, um, which is what our team's all about, really. So for our own knowledge, we don't believe any other sort of nursery or large chain of nursery has um, an internal supernumerary SEND team um, that stands apart from the nursery SENCOs. Um, we could be corrected, but we're not we're not um, sure that, that that our team is replicated anywhere else out there. 
Um, so what the three of us do, we work across all of the Kids Planet settings. Um, some of them we have as focus settings and we provide like a block of intense support. Um, and then for the rest of the settings, we provide advice, guidance, training, um, and we've we've written and delivered the Send Level 3 uh, qualific cash qualification. Um, we liaise with a lot of external professionals um, because we cover many local authorities across um, Kids Planet. Um, and what we're really passionate about um, is working in partnership with parents to ensure that families with children with SEND um, feel supported um, along each step of the way. Um, and as I've already said, that, that all the children in our care get the best possible start in life. Um, so I'll pass over to Lauren, who can explain her background. So hi, I'm Lauren. Um, I've been with Kids Planet for about 13 years. Um, I started as a student at one of the first settings that we had. Um, worked my up through various roles why I also gained my, uh, my degree in early years in education and then quickly realised that my passion was with SCND. So I pre uh, progressed to start to um, support new acquisitions as we were rapidly growing as a, as a company um, and I was doing that just before we acquired Kids Aloud who had their uh, SEND team and, and joined as part of their team. That's where I am now. Hi, I'm Rachel, part of the Kids Planet SEM team. Um, very similar to both the girls, so I've had 12 years experience in the early years and um, doing a range of roles once I freshly qualified as an early years practitioner, did the senior role, ran a toddler room, um, and then Kids Aloud, when we worked for them, um, opened up an academy, which allowed me to then qualify as a trainer and assessor and really share the knowledge and um, deliver the level twos and threes. Um, and then I went off and had my children, and it's when I came back from having my children, there was an opportunity to kind of change paths and kind of go on to the SEND team and kind of train and support the um, SEND cows. And it was something that seemed really interesting and really engaging. So I took on that role and now I would look back. So I've now got my level three in SEND. Um, and like Becky said, absolutely love supporting the SEND cows and the parents to ensure we are providing that care for those children and giving them that best start in life. Amazing, thanks so much. Um, so with this being your specialist subject, I'm going to hand over to you guys now to discuss with Sue, because um, I know you've prepared some questions, so let's do it. Super, so <clears throat> thank you Sue for, for your introduction. It's really interesting um, how everyone's uh, journey evolves and, and um, the channels they got get into early years. But what I'd be really interested in and what we're here to talk today about is what was your journey into particularly your interest in SEND and supporting that part of the um, industry? I think just like um, you've explained in terms of your own personal experiences, we all start with that wider context of the early years somehow, don't we? Um, at the tender age of 18 years old, I was um, thrust in charge of my local guide um, association, the guide company here, um, because my sister was still a guide at that stage and her leader gave up and it was a case of if you don't come and step in now, it's going to close. So I did. And so I had 36 girls to look after on my own as an 18 year old, which probably would wouldn't happen nowadays but um, <laughs> one of those guides um, the first experience with a child with an SEND was a guide who was deaf um, mum didn't really give me much um, guidance in terms of what to do I was very eager to obviously do my best 
um, for, to support her, but really worried as well that a lot of our adventures were out um, in woods on, on camps and, and things. And would she be able to hear me and understand the safety aspects of things that I were trying to get over to her? So I kind of um, lived and learned through that and kind of it was sink or swim situation, really, I think. Um, but actually supporting her especially um, was a, a real passion of mine and, and obviously trying to find out more about her condition and how I could really help. And then I started as a childminder, as I said earlier, in 1998, and obviously really open for any child to come, every unique child um, and, and whatever their um, learning abilities or disabilities might be there, maybe. So that entailed in the in the time that I was a childminder in me caring for two children who ended up with a condition um, diagnosed as autism. Um, but obviously in their earliest years, we didn't really have that. Um, that, that, that label, that diagnosis. So working through with parents, with the local authority and really, again, doing lots of reading and lots of background research about how best to support these children individually. I then looked after another um, child who was deaf and learned more about hearing aids and replacing batteries and all sorts of different things and supporting her at school as well. So I didn't work for the school, but sometimes she was found at the bottom of the um, the field in, in meltdown and um, people were chasing her around trying to get her into school. And it was my calm and influence most of the time, even though I wasn't in that kind of direct paid role, um, that actually cooks to back into school and we'd have a talk about what had upset her and what the meltdown was all about as well. And then lots and lots of training, obviously professionally developing myself. So I've done loads of training. I did some rollout training in the local authority lots of years ago, um, trying to make um, the early years providers more aware of their duties under what was the DDA um, in terms of um, um, supporting the um, childminders and the early years um, sector but that was for the local authority with their send inclusion team and then I did training with ICAM for the speech language and communication needs and I've worked on the um, comms trust um, communications trust platform three level three in speech language and communication and then worked on the DFE funded um, send champions programs for NDNA so kind of varied really but you know any opportunity that comes my way where I feel I've got some of those underlying skills then I usually try and throw my hat into the circle and say you know let, let's develop even more let's share our understanding and um, let's do all we can to support the sector. You sound very much like us Sue we're very much a team of finding training throwing our hats in so we can get a place on that training mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. see if we can get the best out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great thanks Sue um, and you've touched there on um bits of my next question really within your certain situations within your journey um but how do you think send practices have changed or developed since you first started in the early years massively i mean i know the dda first came out in was it 1995 but when 1998 when i first started as a childminder none of the training included inclusion and how to specifically think about that equity more than inclusion um, and and really thinking about how we can meet these individual needs of children um so it was almost, it wasn't acceptable as in the Equality Act and the DDA at that time, um, but you could almost get away with saying, hmm, 
a child with additional knit no I can't really do that actually because I've got this and this and it it, it wasn't good enough really to, to be to be in a position where it was still okay to be able to say don't do disability um so as I said you know kind of helping the, the local authority to rule that out was huge I'm seeing more children we send in the mainstream school mm -hmm. and divisions now and lots of children in this last couple of years that have got kind of, we're doing maybe more observations on and we're paying careful attention to mm -hmm. observations and assessments to try and um, unpick what we're seeing with some children as well. Um, and I think it's obviously going to be more and more important to be inclusive and thinking of that equity as well. Back when I was at school, which I'm very old now, 51, but back in the 70s, it was very rare to see a child with a disability mm -hmm. in school. And I think there was that kind of stigma of that school on the hill, the specialist school where they, the, the children with SEND go. Um, whereas now, obviously, we're seeing more and more children, thankfully, in mainstream school and settings as well. So I think the journey has been massive. Because even when we were thinking about inclusion for children with the SEND, it was almost saying, you can come on this day when we're fully staffed, but you're not allowed to come on Friday because we're going on the coach trip and we can't get you on the coach. You know, there they was like, almost like, we'll try our best, but we we're still not being fully inclusive. So I think we've come a long, long way, thankfully, um, since my time in school personally or in the earlier sector. And thankfully, um, it, it's a lot more equitable now for these children and families. So a huge, huge change, I think. We do have a, a, a discussion often when, you know, send, like you said, there's a lot more children in mainstream and people say, how, how is this the case? And we, you know, as you point out, is it that um, there are more children accessing, you know, with the, with the sort of the funding support, are there more children accessing um, mainstream settings? Or actually, is it that um, we're better at early identifying? Um, because I know, like, I ran a preschool 10 years ago and if I looked at my cohort of children I probably would have said at that time no I don't have any children with um, SEND but if I had that same cohort now I probably would think actually I, I did have some children but maybe they were labeled you know as as needing behavioral support um, mm -hmm. because I, I think as as practitioners or as society um, we weren't as well equipped we weren't as well trained um, and like you said that that equity that we now know um, and work towards with inclusion is is definitely at the forefront of people's minds more absolutely yeah I think you're right I think everybody's awareness I often call it your CPD toolkit um your, your suite of training um to, to identify um typical development and atypical development and then thinking about okay you've got a specific learning style or it's looking as though you this sensory experience is is, is something you struggle with and I think hopefully lots more people are, are kind of more aware and we've, we're including more tools in our personal toolkit in terms of knowledge and experiences and, and those kind of thinking outside the box and, and applying different strategies to help children so I think you're absolutely right there as well yeah and I think also advances in medication and medicine and things like that mm -hmm. means more children who maybe are being born prematurely or with a medical need more are surviving because obviously the NHS are yeah. really good at finding more of these mm -hmm. um, wonderful things to help to help keep more children alive who who possibly wouldn't have survived in the 70s and 80s maybe um, and maybe then there's, there are more children also needing our help because of their um their specific circumstances as well very interesting yeah yeah <clears throat> so and um, sue you just mentioned about um the the conception of you know how people think about um 
specialist schools and like you said back in the 70s it was very much about an institute um our kind of next kind of question to you is um what would you think the biggest uh, same misconception is? Because I know for us as a SEM team, we often have parents say, well, no, they're not going to a specialist school because they still do have that conception of it's an institute, it's very much um, different to mm -hmm. what it is now. So is there something that you kind of think in your line of work that you'd class as a, a SEM misconception? I think a lot of the misconceptions um, for settings specifically are it's going to be expensive. They're going to need a one-to-one -one worker. Mm. Um, I think, yes, parents are very aware of maybe the stigma of their children going to a specialist school. And for some children, it's the right thing to do. If they've got a specialist is, um, specialism in autism, for example, um, it's probably the right thing to do or something to consider. But in most cases, lots of children will perform very well in mainstream school as long as the mainstream schools and obviously earlier settings as well are equipped to be able to help them there are probably you will probably be able to think about some maybe and um, some that are not quite as inclusive and children might be in trouble for the meltdowns that they have in school maybe that are attributed towards their behavior like you said earlier and not actually understood and catered for really so i think there's lots of misunderstandings there um for earlier sector and in, in the earlier settings i think um, to kind of throw away the misconception that any children with a SEND would need a one-to-one -one worker and they're going to be expensive and we haven't got any funding and all those things. Sometimes, absolutely, some children do need that one-to-one -one worker. But actually, if we start to understand sensory processing and um, self-regulation, which is obviously one of my many, many passions, um, we kind of get to unpick what it is that's causing those meltdowns, understand, make those reasonable adjustments, think about the routines, think about the times where the children might be in meltdown and what is the trigger to that. And with that very small adjustments, we can actually cater for that child and really understand what they need from us. And, and, and it's a massive misconception that the child's behavioural, you know, their behaviour is, we know, preachers and converted I'm sure and um, we know that that behavior is communication and we're obviously got to really unpick what is that child communicating to us what is what is causing that meltdown how can we help this child and and not getting cross or frustrated um, or having to speak to the parent every day can we just have a word every time the parent comes in this child's yeah. better than somebody yeah. or something's happened because that must be so destroying for parents as well um you know, having to go and speak to somebody every week, every every day that they're coming, collect a child about something as well. Um, so, yeah, lots of misconceptions out there, I think, um, unfortunately still. But hopefully we're, teams like yourself in terms of supporting your, your chain of nurseries will be doing the best um, in terms of ironing out some of those misconceptions for parents as well, maybe. I was going to pick up on one-to-one -one because it is something that's a big bugbear of our team. And although we've just taught that we have come a long way with 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 um, SEN knowledge, um, I think one-to-one -one is, is an outdated term, but it's still being used quite widely. And we really try to push for, you know, using the word targeted support mm -hmm. um, because it's not helpful for children, families, um, the settings to, to have this idea of one-to-one. It, it portrays this Velcro Vera that we like to call it as our yeah, team. Um, and children don't need that. Um, 
So, yeah, that's interesting that you picked up on that as a, as a SEND misconception, because that is probably one of the things that we, we're working towards as our team to try and alter people's views. And again, um, I know you picked up her, Sue, about saying um, that one of the biggest phrases we have, I think, as a SEND team is, um, you know, every behaviour is a form of mm-hmm. communication. So thinking about, you know, we're all forever saying, thinking about the iceberg effect and what could have been the trigger for that behaviour. I think that is a real misconception that, there's not often we hear practice, uh, practitioners say to us that they, there was no trigger or there was no reason for the behaviour. So it's just about that importance of you know the the will have been a trigger, but let's think of the outside the box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Delving deep, and mm-hmm. we say as well that you half send half send guys, half detectives. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I said to be detectives, you absolutely are. And yeah, sometimes the trigger takes a long time to be unpick. And again, it's a toolbox of strategies and that awareness, isn't it? And that knowledge, is it this? No, it doesn't seem to be. What about this? And, you know, really kind of trying everything until you find the solution, you find the trigger. And it's not always easy. Um, sometimes it's a lot more obvious in some children than it is in others. Um, but there will be one somewhere, isn't there? And it's about trying to, like you say, put your detective hat on and get your um, to buy a glass out and start to really think about what is it that's causing yeah. this and what what is that child communicating what is their um dysregulation i suppose in, in most um, circumstances so yeah i think that does lead us nicely on to, to one of our next questions um because i think one of the one of the biggest things that we said about children um with snd attending mainstream one of the barriers i feel is that settings will say i've not i've not had training um to you know to to look after a child with send um and we've all three of us have joined um a lot of your training sessions soon found them really useful um but it'll be interesting to know what you feel is is probably what you've had the most engagement with your training what do you feel like team and early as practitioners are looking for in terms of um gaining knowledge in terms of send the send sector i think sadly a lot of them are still thinking about how can we rectify this behavior we're seeing lots of behavior lots of challenging behavior and so lots of people come on the behavior sessions but because my background obviously in terms of my book and 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 various other streams of um personal interests I've got training on behavior and attitudes I now call it because of the um the um, offset judgment and self-regulation executive function but the whole day training courses and online that's really tricky because nobody wants to sit all day online and obviously in in terms of people accessing the training as um, a one-to-one it's obviously twice as much um in terms of money as my kind of two two and a half hour bursts of training are so they seem to want a quick fix and they want to know can you do behavior in two hours and obviously you know you can start to discuss behavior in two hours but you can't pick all the things that I'd like to give them in two hours Um, self-regulation lots of people are wanting that but again to get the best out of it it needs to be a full day training course and some um, settings some nurseries are buying that in as a a specific kind of inset day training whether that is face-to-face or online um but at the moment those seem to be the two but it's the it's the kind of like when you talked about the iceberg theory it's what they're seeing on top of the water mm-hmm. they're seeing that but not necessarily going deep diving underneath and finding out what might be the trigger um so those are the two courses that at the moment that i'm asked for more and more 
Um, some people are coming now wanting the developing the role of the SENDCO because sometimes um, the local authorities aren't as um, proactive in terms of their funding and things to be able to um, give that out. Yeah. And lots of people, having done various different snippets of different courses, are interested also in the sensory processing. Yeah. speech language and communication so i've got lots of plans um to roll out new training um it's difficult online obviously uh, most of it is online still at the moment but i'm trying to fill up march and april at the moment with more specific courses now people have done the more general ones um more specific kind of deep dives into some of these areas as well um but i think sometimes they want to come on a course pay £20 or £25, have a, an hour, two and a half hours and go away with the solution. But actually, mm -hmm. we all know that that's not the case. Um, and that's why I'd like to promote um, online my full day courses where they can absolutely do a better deep dive into it rather than that two and a half hour flavour. But I get that people's finances are struggling and, you know, they'd rather pay the £20, £25 and, and have two and a half hours, but they're not going to get that single one fixed solution because there just isn't one. So it's just mm -hmm trying to broaden their horizons really and broaden their awareness of what's going on so it's a bit tricky at the moment obviously um i know we're living with covid now rather than the restrictions but obviously lots of people are still wanting online training um and and i don't like doing a whole day online i don't think it's the most positive thing for the staff experience at all but um yeah, so at the moment, it seems to be the behaviour and the, the self-rake that, that the people it's are wanting. The, it's the quick fix. They want the quick fix. Another thing our team do say is we don't have a magic wand. And I think people think, you know, they want you to turn up with that magic wand, that one solution, like you say, that's going to fix everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's what people are looking for, I think. And sometimes you can do a consultancy visit. So sometimes I go out and they're preparing for offset kind of visits. And sometimes you'll see a child and you see you see a, a practitioner struggling and maybe a bit embarrassed that they're there being assessed, but actually this child's, you know, in in their in their eyes playing up or being difficult or whatever mm -hmm. they're having that challenging moment and sometimes I can maybe say straight away what that is, but because mm -hmm. they haven't had the training or haven't had uh, that specific training um but then who am i to try and say within that five minutes that i've seen it well have you thought about this um but sometimes it, i do feel the need to kind of have you thought about such and such i would yeah. wonder whether um but i'm not there to diagnose either so you know it's really important that the people are finding it um within their budget to do the training to raise awareness or go do some cpd and read blogs and you know really try and do a deep dive and try to find out more about what they're seeing um this next question goes to i think we've probably touched on throughout um as we've been talking um especially with the um send misconception question but what do you think is the biggest challenge for send within early years setting or send practices yeah i think you've probably we have kind of touched on this haven't we we've kind yeah. of um, doubt, um, digressed a little bit on the other questions but um just thinking about that thing there's no one size fits all approach there's no magic fairy dust and mm -hmm. um, seeing that real individual child using that send um toolkit that that knowledge that child development knowledge and really doing that deep dive it's so lovely to hear that there's three of you and um, that's super numerate because some people in other um, nurseries they're senko and behavior lead and they and manager and this and in ratios and you think how on earth 
mm-hmm. are you managing with all that because they're going to get burnout if not if we're not careful mm-hmm. they can't give all those roles that 110 percent they try to um but it's getting more and more difficult isn't it with this situation as well um so seeing that unique child working in partnership with parents i'm sure you will have, have all read the poem and i can't remember who wrote it now let me think who was it um Emily, Emily Kings, or oh, Emily Pearl Kingsley, um, she wrote the Welcome to Holland poem. Yeah, we were just, yeah, we would love that one. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think it's, um, it's, it's massive in terms of help. It's we sometimes think of the support is just for the child, mm-hmm. but to understand that almost grieving thing that they, they, um, the parents might go through, it's um. difficult for them to hear. Um, no matter how beautifully you try and speak to them and how non-judgmental and you're trying to be really passionate and understanding it's so difficult for parents to hear that you think I know my video's not on but if you do the air quotes they're listening to uh, almost that you're thinking that you found their child's faulty I know that's not not the PC thing and it's not the Senco thing that we would come from but that's what the children that's yeah. what the parents are essentially hearing mm. you think something's wrong with my child um so and that's so so difficult and if they have had the, all the manuals to go to Italy as as Emily said mm. um and 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 then suddenly they've been redirected to Holland they're probably very um up in the air don't know where to start mm-hmm. um it's it, and you know there's some very difficult conversations and and that bereft stuff to 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 kind of support with parents as well to get them to the other side um so loads of things i think is there lots of lots of biggest send challenges i suppose but to kind of understand the whole family and i know the key person's for the child but obviously the key person's there to support the family as well and again making sure that that key person or that send core in each setting um has got the understanding and their background to be able to do that because that's going to be really tricky to to support the parents because we're going to need their their agreement their permission to seek extra Mm -hmm. help in the early years and if they're in denial and they don't want to then obviously we're stuck between a rock and a hard place other than doing what we can in our settings as well I think that that leads us on nicely to, to one of our, our questions because as I said in our in our outset, our SEND team are really passionate about working with parents because, like you said, you know you need to have them on board to, to really move forwards with with supporting the the child. And it is um, sometimes we call it a bit, a bit of a blocker if you've not if parents quite aren't on that journey yet with you. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any way that in your your current professional capacity you work with parents? Um, not officially, as in not kind of on website stuff, but people do contact me via the website, the contact me thing in the website. And there's been several parents over the last couple of months, interestingly, that are wanting um, my consultancy as a parent, which is not something that I have started to do, but it's not something that I advertise that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of them are when they're trying to pull against these settings that are not quite as inclusive as I would hoped. Um, so, um, there was one a couple of months ago that was concerned that the child is probably having maybe some meltdowns at school, but she's maybe being um, misunderstood and it's been behaviour kind of label. And 
there's been a consequence for the behaviour, even though maybe there shouldn't have been, because maybe it's a meltdown and it's a fight and flight and it's not a kind of I'm, I'm choosing to be challenging moment. Um, but then at the end of the week, there was a double punishment and she wasn't allowed to do something else. And dad was obviously really, really upset about that um, and wanted a lot of support um, and about kind of understanding. Obviously, the, he bought my book and he was in the middle of, of, of reading about all sorts of different things. And he was obviously, Penny was dropping with him, but it was about how can I get this across to school because the way that school managed that I don't I, you know I'm really really struggling with that so at the moment I don't do um, a lot for parents directly um, but another um, nursery also has wanted me to do a workshop for parents about self-regulation because they've done my self-regulation training they've gone off and really thought about their environments and they're doing lots more sensory play and, and things to help children and they're wanting that kind of short hour um, that workshop to uh, for me to do via um, Zoom online with the parents so that they can showcase what they've done as, as part of my training so they're kind of the impact of the training as well so there's quite a few different bits and pieces coming around to support parents but it's not something I'm kind of beating the drum to say parents come for this support um, but I'm very happy to obviously where I can help the parents that are needing it or helping the settings um, prepare workshops or do workshops for parents to try and extend parents' knowledge on things as well. Thank you. It's interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, so, Sue, one of our kind of next questions is um, COVID. And obviously COVID is still going on, like you mentioned, and we're now li learning to live with COVID. Mm -hmm. But from your kind of perspective, what do you think has mainly affected the SEND um, world and kind of children with SEND um, over the past couple of years? I think especially in spring lockdown, I mean, obviously everybody was thrust into that lockdown and nobody knew how long it was going to last and what was happening. It was a confusing old world for everybody, not knowing what the expectations to have on that. But for the children who were having that targeted support, who were accessing the multi-agencies for support, whether that was speech, language and communication or whether that was physio or whatever it is, obviously there was a very long period of time where those children weren't getting that support from the mm. multi-agencies. Um, where sometimes then after maybe a couple of months or more, the, the, the kind of Zoom things kicked in, the online conferences, but it wasn't still the one-to-one -one that the, the children might have needed in terms of the target support with that um, with that professional. Yeah. So I think um, maybe kind of getting more... Um, obviously insular in terms of the more remote because everybody was living in those household bubbles but with a child with a specific special educational need there was lots more anxiety maybe for those um, families and um, not knowing how that uh, how the uh, covid was maybe contracted thinking about shopping and all the rest of things what we're all were thinking about trying to get our online slots weren't we and, and then everybody went out buying too many toilet rolls and things and you know there was all that kind of craziness going on for everybody really because no Nobody had the living memory or living through anything like this to be able to draw an experience from. So especially for the children with a special educational need or disability, um, I think it raised anxiety for parents and the children. Um, obviously not being able to access those multi-agency professionals. Um, some of those children may have still come to childcare, depending on obviously whether their children, their parents were um, key, uh, key people workers or depending, I suppose, on whether they had an EHCP plan. Um, 
so I, there was obviously um, there were various children, but some of them would be at home. And obviously, in terms of socialisation, in, to, in terms of kind of on, uh, increased um, isolation and anxiety, I think there was a long. Um, it was a long old time. I mean, obviously, we all maybe thought it was a couple of weeks or a month, and then it went on and on and on and on, didn't it? So, um, also, I think maybe um, long waiting lists, maybe for when yes. they yeah. again, um, because obviously there was such a backlog to work through. And then maybe if you got to the point where we were nearly at assessment, you have to start again. It's a little bit like the safeguarding elements in terms of you know if, if early help was kickstarted it might need re-kickstarting and, and and there was all sorts yeah. of um issues there i think too so unfortunately i think even though we're living with covid and we're trying to get back to kind of business as usual whatever that might look like in in this kind of um day and age but for some children with this with with ascend i think sometimes there are still the barriers there to try and access those um multi-agencies that they need I think you're 100% right. I think us as a team had said at the time when we were just kind of phasing back to work after the very first lockdown, we were in agreement that we weren't so worried for the children of school 2020 because they were, you know, a lot of their referrals and EHCP requests had already gone in. But our concern was the after effect mm -hmm. through the waiting times, like you just mentioned, Sue. So our concern is for children school 21, 22 now, probably mm -hmm. 23, just because of the backlog of these waiting times um, and the support that the Unfortunately, just not able to get due to COVID. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? If you if you read some of the um, the social media from teachers who were saying that the September cohort from from this twenty twenty one cohort are. And there's more emotional and behaviour um, incidents with those children not being ready to start school than there were the year before. And you'd think the children the year before maybe would have the um, the biggest transition to school because there were probably no transition days and obviously there'd been the spring lockdown. But uh, um, interestingly, this cohort they're saying is uh, that th there are a lot more challenges in terms of being school ready and being able, you know learning ready uh, and, and with behaviour and, uh, and emotional. Um, needs be met and we all know that if emotional needs aren't met then obviously the children are not going to learn so um it's quite interesting actually and, and and worrying really as to um what what the that the longer term impact of this might might be on the children actually and i think that just finally links in with the, this cohort of children it's those that in the middle of the pandemic were our two-year-olds our two-year-olds that would have been having the health visitor checks you know there would have been the groups there would have been in the nursery settings and then they've not had the opportunity to the education or to the social skills to help and support them as what we call as a sensei in that school readiness. So in a way, you know, these health to telephone calls over the phone have not been as beneficial as we thought they might have been because of information passed on or incorrect information mm -hmm. uh, and not having that connection with the nurses to really support them for that school readiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's been huge, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think, like you said, the two-year-olds now, they've lived most of their life in some kind of restrictions and what have you. And Maybe the babies um, are easier to settle maybe nowadays, maybe, mm -hmm. but it's the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds who've had that, obviously, experience and, like you say, missed out on those play gym parties and, 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 and what have you, you know, the socialisation as well. Um, and I think some children are, will be fine and some children will, you know, they will go on and thrive. But I think some children and families, depending on the family situation they're living in, are, are still in the surviving mode, really. 
very unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so the next question we've got is, um, I think, which again, I think we've probably touched on before when we talked about a lot more, seeing a lot more children in our mainstream settings now and in early years. Um, and, you know, we talked about is that because, you know, we, we are better at early identification and, and identifying children. But in your professional opinion, what would you say is the best way to ensure you demonstrate inclusive practice? Or do you have any examples of the best inclusive practice you've seen that you could share with us? Um, again, I think it's really tricky that one because obviously there's not one size fits all approach, isn't there? But it's that I think that's just just seeing that unique child. Going back to the basic EYFS principles, if you're seeing the unique child and their family, and obviously you're you're um, working in partnership with parents and sharing that information in a non-judgmental way, because some parents. We forget through COVID again, they've not been able, like you say, to see their health visitor face to face. They feel judged on or maybe not knowing what they th think they should already know about their child. So they feel judged and they feel reluctant and embarrassed to come and ask for help. Um, so seeing that unique child and not delays and not the behaviour specifically, but, you know, just thinking that's part and parcel of what we're seeing with this child and really start to think about um, what is this unique child needing from us? What what are their um, their strengths? Their superpowers. I sometimes talk about their superpowers. What are they, and how? Are, what are we seeing here in terms of any meltdowns or any delay or any atypical behaviours or development? Um, being open and honest with with everybody. Um, even parents thinking, you know, you haven't got this quick fist solution. We're noticing this. Are you also noticing this? Um, have you tried this? I'll try that. And really kind of really working in partnership. Being, being open and honest with them and doing things with them and not to them and that's one of my other favorite quotes you've probably read it before um but you know if we if we take parents with us and and staff obviously on our journey and uh, rather than doing things to them so i filled out this form for you to to do a, a a referral for such and such but you know if we're doing it together um and really taking them on their on, on that journey and making sure that it's right for them um and, and making sure that they don't feel reluctant because the last thing we want to do is is to feel that they have to leave and start somewhere else hoping somewhere else is not going to notice what their child's like because they might not be then going to a setting that is as lucky as you uh, in terms of having the centre support um, that you have so um, it's really really sad as well isn't it when you see sometimes on social media the settings that are really struggling and they're saying I'm really thinking that I might have to give this child notice and we just think please don't because that's just so unfair um, it's not inclusive at all and if they start to have those barriers and, and experience those negativities when they're little then you know it's, it's a slippery old slope isn't it moving forward as well yeah, I think I think um, you know when you say going back to that that unique child, um, it sounds very obvious because we've all worked with the EYFS for many years, and unique child's been at the core of everything we've done. But when it comes to send, I think often um, it's seen as typical development, and then send is like a set is, is a separate category, mm -hmm. um, often like the afterthought. Um, and what we're trying to promote as, as our inclusive practice at, at Kids Planet is that um, it's not typical and send, it's that sort of neurodiversity, mm -hmm. so that every child actually is unique and there's not two categories, there's there's lots of categories because every child learns differently, um, whereas having those two categories, again, is, is probably 
old school and we're on the way to, to, to understand that there's that neurodiversity um, and everybody's unique. There's not two categories, but we'll, we'll get there one day. We always say when we get to 2030 or, you know, 2040 and we say, oh, can you imagine when, um, you know, send used to be like this? Mm-hmm. And, and now we're and now we're you know in this different world we'll, we'll get there one day hopefully um, yeah that would be the vision world so hopefully that will, will that will come off but we're all neurodiverse that way if, if we think about what our sensory preferences and what we like mm-hmm. and what we don't like and what we're afraid of and, and what what we're excited about and what have you you know everybody's neurodiverse and we've mm-hmm. all got our very unique pathway through life and um, obviously that will be very different for everybody so it, it's trying to kind of see it like that I think to that equity again isn't it what can mm-hmm. we do to help yeah no, we definitely agree because as a team we often say we've all got similar traits to different you know neural yeah. development and we often do similar things that are similar to what some of the children we send do mm-hmm. but kind of before we um Kind of on to the next question is um because you've obviously worked in the early years what would you say your um, favorite thing for working with some children is I think it's similar to working with any child, really. It's just seeing that difference, making that difference for that child, getting to know them um, and and, and every child, making sure that every child is valued um, and and has their specific needs met, whatever that is, have their learning styles um, 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 appreciated and and really thinking about you know any any specific interests or fixations or whatever they've got and really kind of um you know going with that rather than trying to pull against them my favorite thing i think is the massive difference you can see you see some children that have started um with atypical or delays development and knowing and understanding that and, and trying to unpick it and even before we get to the targeted support and also they and they maybe the referrals if necessary to the multi-agencies um if we are knowledgeable enough to kind of understand what might be the trigger to behavior or whatever it is um we are kind of making that massive difference straight away we're building those relationships so the child feels valued they feel as though you've got their back and that actually you're here to support them regardless of what happens and then building those relationships with parents as well and supporting them through their very unique journey through the send world too um like i said you know if they end up in holland when they wanted to go to Italy, then they've got a massive learning curve and um it's about you know we're stuck here this is we're not going to get to italy what are we going to do for some children of course it won't be that sometimes holland might be a a, a short trip and they actually might end up at italy if we put in the right support systems they might be able to then obviously fly on to their second part of their journey in Italy but um, my favourite favourite thing is making those partnerships making that difference um, and recognising those tiny steps of development um, rather than you know maybe we sometimes look at birth to five or, or development matters or the old development matters and, and some children with ascend we don't see a, a great deal of progress in terms of those bullet points but they are making progress usually, but in tinier steps and, and, and acknowledging those tiny steps and really celebrating um, the, the, the um, progress that they are making and obviously supporting parents through this as well. Thank you, Sue. There's, there's a lot of challenges, as we've discussed in the, the middle of the podcast, but there's a lot of positives as, as well. It's a very diverse um, role. And really, just to, to sum up our conversation, we just wanted to ask you... Um, as our, as our Kids Planet Send team, what advice would you give us? 
Um, I'm not sure. Um, you seem to be obviously very, very um, well-trained and very knowledgeable and experienced. I think I want to say thank you, first of all, because I think as a sector, we're very underappreciated and you don't probably get a lot of recognition for all the things that you're trying to do. So thank you for all you're doing in obviously your team and obviously all the practitioners within your, your group as well. Um we feel underappreciated, underpaid, undervalued, don't we? Lots and um, a massive, massive thank you. You are making a massive, massive difference. And I don't think we get enough praise or recognition for what we do on a daily basis. Um, like I said earlier, there seem to be loads more children requiring support. They might not be necessarily going on for send support, but that specific support, that targeted support that we might be able to provide short term to help them. Um, so I think it's just a case of um, keep adding those um, toolkits and those bits of information um, in terms of CPD um, and obviously you're working with the multi-agency professionals so sometimes obviously what, what one multi-agency professional tells you to help one child sometimes you can add that piece of information to your toolkit to add it to inclusive practice and make that world and that environment better for every child um, so I don't think I've got one top tip really other than mm -hmm. to say thank you and keep trying because um, you're obviously making a huge difference um and, and thank you for what you're doing thank you so much that's lovely to hear yeah, yeah really lovely um thank you everyone for taking the time to join us today for such an important discussion and um, i know that a lot of our kids 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 planet parents and even beyond that will really appreciate how informative and open you've been it's been really really brilliant so really thank you <laughs> please do join us again next time for another episode of all things early years thanks for joining us and to our guests today tune in next month and in the meantime pop over to our website and follow us on social media kids planet working together to inspire your world